Oh, can you hear me? Welcome. Adam was told of the forbidden tree before Eve was created. And what Eve tells Satan isn't exactly what God told Adam. This is the very first recorded miscommunication between husband and wife. <laughs> the last one occurred just before my wife and I came here. <laughs> you probably expect me to start with Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, and gave himself up for her. Well, we'll definitely come back to this Ephesians passage, but first, we have to step back and get some perspective. If we consider the whole of Scripture, there's not a lot that God has said about, specifically about marriage. Why do you suppose that is? Let's take a fresh look at God's word. Why would the Lord have so much to say about life in general and so little about marriage when marriage is so important? It is the very first institution that God established. It is the fundamental building block of society. Without marriage, society falls apart. Do you think I'm being overly dramatic? Take a look around you. Kids are growing up without a mother and a father who love them, who live out the proper roles of husband and wife, mother and father, and teach them first and foremost that there is a God who took on flesh to rescue them from the wiles of Satan. I don't even want to go into the craziness of what is going on in this once great nation where abortion is rampant and kids are being told, you don't have to be a girl or a boy, you can be whatever you want. Back to scripture. I want you to envision a pyramid. An Egyptian one will do. Now think about the top few courses of stones. What holds them up? That's right, it's the rest of the pyramid. All that's below those few courses of stones on top. Now the few courses of stones are the passages of scripture specific to marriage. The rest of the pyramid is the rest of scripture that holds life together. And marriage rests on that foundation. If we run around screaming, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, without considering the whole of scripture, we're isolating marriage from the spiritual maturity that is essential to a successful marriage. The fundamentals of godly life 
are the essentials everyone needs to live life according to the designer of life. You might say the rest of scripture is the textbook of life. I remember in high school, we had a saying, if all else fails, read the instruction. <laughs> are we spending time in God's word regularly? If not, it's awfully easy to fall off the rails. Let's be sure to read the instructions. If we're not prepared for life, we sure aren't prepared for marriage. Now let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 2.18 Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. What does that mean? I like the Crossway ESV footnote to this verse. The helper is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the one who is helped. The term does not imply that the helper is either stronger or weaker than the one helped. Fit for him or matching him is not the same as like him. A wife is not her husband's clone, but she compliments him. Further, Rudum in Systematic Theology states, we must affirm at the outset that the creation narrative in Genesis 1.27 used men and women as equally created in the image of God. He does not, he, he goes on to say that this is a remarkably affirmed in the high dignity and respect that Jesus accorded to women in his earthly ministry. Why do I put so much focus on this? How can we view marriage as God does if we don't view women as God does? Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33, seems to me to be the very heart of God's instructions to marriage. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up. These are the very tip of the iceberg of this passage. And to quote them alone is to take them out of context. Marriage from the beginning, from Genesis 1, was created by God to be a reflection of and patterned after Christ's future revelation to the church. That's why Paul commands Paul's commands regarding the roles of husband and wives do not merely reflect the culture of this day, but present God's ideal for all marriages at all times. 
Maybe we can understand why God set up marriage the way he did. I look into the Trinity. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. In holiness, greatness, love, all the attributes of God, they all are God. You can't say that one is greater than the other because they're all infinite. That is boundless in their attributes. But God is a God of order. And that order is demonstrated when Jesus in the garden submits to the Father, Matthew 26, 39. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus in Acts 1, 2, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This indicates that the Holy Spirit is in submission to the Lord Jesus, as well as to the Father. You see, order exists in the Godhead. It should not be any surprise that God created marriage with order also. And let us not forget that a wife is not inferior to the husband any more than Jesus or the Holy Spirit is inferior to the Father. While the doctrine of Trinity clearly acknowledges that each person of the Trinity is fully God in every respect, it appears that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have different roles. Thus, when God created husband and wife, he gave us roles. And in submission to God's commands, we must embrace these God-given roles. Only then can we live successful lives and have successful marriages. Some of you may be wondering, why has God given us all the commandments, directives, and instructions that he has? Just imagine what the world would be like if man had obeyed them. Now, consider where the human race is today. God gave Adam a wife and one prohibition. Don't mess with the tree of good and evil. Adam and Eve are in paradise. They have a relationship with God. They have each other. All of their needs are met. And even before Eve is pregnant, they made a beeline for the tree with a big no-no sign on it. How long did it take for the fall to occur? Well. Man's first rebellion against God's only prohibition at the time occurs in chapter 3 of Genesis. And it isn't in, until chapter 4 and the expulsion from the Garden of Eden that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, don't you see why God has to give us some rules to live by? in order to not end up in the situation we find ourselves in. 
And we're in this situation because we've broken all the rules he's given us. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, Jesus, in talking about divorce, quotes from Genesis 2.24. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. From the be very beginning, it's been God's intent. One man, one woman, for life. So don't look to David or Solomon for an example of marriage. They both miss God's plan big time. They had all that sex weren't satisfied. Clearly, God intended that man and woman, husband and wife, were made to be so attached to each other that no other human relationship can compare to the closeness that can and should exist between husband and wife. I had an acquaintance, a man whose son was an Indian guide with us, and this father was going through a divorce. We ran into each other in a restaurant one night in our short chat. I remember him saying, when marriage is healthy, sex is 10%. When things are not going well, sex is 90%. I think what my friend was saying was, in a healthy marriage, Sex is important, but it's not what makes the world go around. It has its place, but is not a source of contention. When the marriage isn't going well, sex is often the focus of all kinds of problems. A driving force that often becomes a weapon. If the consideration of divorce ever goes through your mind, are you willing to turn to God? Are you followers of Christ? If the answer is yes, then you can pray. Lord, I want your will in this situation. I know you love me. I know you can fix any problem. If it requires that you change me before you fix things, Show me what you want me to do, and please, Lord, give me patience to wait on your timing. In the meantime, I just want to rest in your arms and trust you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. My final word on divorce is this. Children of divorce never, ever fully recover. No, I am one of them. Okay, let's think back to the pyramid I spoke about earlier. Husbands, from the vast depths of scripture, I want to pick out one thought. 
integrity. Integrity will define us as a man. It will, with it comes respect. It will be the basis for our relationship. Our family and friends will know that we are a man who can be trusted and that we can be depended on. Most importantly, it will please the Lord to see us living a life of integrity. Being a man of integrity doesn't mean not making mistakes. Rather, it means acknowledging mistakes as mistakes and accepting the consequence of our mistakes. We husbands have given a promise to our wife to love her and respect her and take care of her and be faithful to her. Integrity means keeping that promise. Two ingredients necessary to being a man of integrity are the commitment to being upright, honest, and sincere, and the awareness that it takes power to do what's right, power that we do not have within ourselves, but constantly relying on the Spirit of God to supply that power will make us men of integrity. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How does integrity play out in marriage? It builds trust. Trust allows a husband and wife to be vulnerable with each other. Vulnerability is one of the foundations of a great marriage. It stands on the under foundation of trust. Vulnerability means not needing defenses. And you can only be without defenses if you can trust your spouse. And that means you must be trustworthy yourself. It isn't a one-way street. Trust breeds trust and vulnerability breeds vulnerability. But be careful. Only by being rock solid, depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, can we be relied on to keep this trust. As spouses, how do we resolve Perhaps we all have seen marriages where one party is very strong personality, the other most often gives concession to the strong one. And we've seen marriages where each is willing to concede when it is best to do so. And harmony results. And there are marriages where, on occasion, both spouses feel very strongly about an issue disagree on the resolution. This is when our roles as husband and wife have to take over. Let me as a husband make some suggestions. On 1 Corinthians 13, love does not insist on its own way. As head of the household, my responsibility is not to demand my way. 
My responsibility is to consider the welfare of my wife. If I feel very strongly about an issue, my wife's emotional welfare is still more important. Men, we can't forget our devotion to this precious mate. It is not out of place, right in the heat of the discussion, to stop and from our heart say, you are the most important person on the face of the earth to me. I love you. And it is my responsibility to see that your welfare comes before any issue. Funny, often in retrospect, we can see a different solution that works for both of us. And also in hindsight, we see that it's often our pride at the ugly bottom of the problem. When we get our heads on straight, often a much more reasonable solution results. Maybe we need to stand back and examine our priorities. As a husband, is it of the utmost importance to create a safe home for my family? I'm not talking about outside dangers. I'm talking about what makes a home emotionally safe. Husbands, is your home safe for your wife? Are we being cautious with what we say, especially if we're irritated or impatient? Let's not forget James 3, 5b to 6a. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The trouble is, unkind words cannot be taken back. As the old saying goes, you can't unring the bell. Trust and healthy bonds that cause a couple to grow older and closer together are what create the golden years. Some years ago, Jeanette and I were introduced to Gary Smalley by way of his videotapes. He did a series of talks on loving relationships. In one of these talks, he described different personality types. It was a simple breakdown of the complex psychological study of personalities. Smalley described four classifications Lion is the leader, the otter is the people person, the golden retriever is the one who wants to help others, and the beaver is the detail person. It revolutionized my wife's and my understanding of each other. I know this sounds dorky, but I had never quite grasped the importance of understanding that Jeanette and I were so different. Knowing these differences changed our expectations of each other and of the kids. It also explained why Jeanette would say, it's good enough. And I would say, good enough isn't. 
one of the beauties of marriage is that old saying, opposites attract. You'll not find this in scripture, but it certainly appears to be true. Yes, Jeanette and I have a mixed marriage. She's a woman, and I'm a man. <laughs> but going beyond the greatest differences, we're not wired the same. If it weren't that God designed both of us, we would think we came from different planets. Then there are the differences that come from experiences. Where and in what family we were born and brought up affects us greatly. Not to mention that experiences affect different personalities differently. And that's a golden retriever. That's a person whose aim in life is to please others. I'm a beaver. Beavers don't buy junk. They don't make junk. But they see the world through a microscope. It's my wife's view, <clears throat> seeking, seeing the world from a wide-angle lens that has kept this ship of euphoric marriage afloat all these years. All right, I've exaggerated a bit. He's from Venus, I'm from Mars. Hammond always agreed about everything. He doesn't collect stamps. Until we moved to Coeur d'Alene, I never did the dishes. And throughout our relationship, she speaks Jeanette, and I speak Bill. Neither of us have ever learned spouse. Back to Ephesians for just a moment. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. First, let me point out with as much emphasis as I can bring to bear, nowhere in all of Scripture does the Word of God say that is the duty or the responsibility of the husband to insist the wife submit to this verse is directed entirely to the woman, the wife, not the husband. Wives, I respect, respectfully submit that your godly example is more powerful than you probably realize. And I speak from experience. It would appear that Jesus Christ will do anything that is good for us, including standing in our place on the day of judgment when no one else would or could. But the one thing he will not do is force himself upon us. Having said that, it is clearly the intent of Scripture that the husband must model submission to Christ. The point is that a husband, as head of his wife, is to lead her in a godly way. He has no business telling her what to do. It is his business to show the way by example. And if he is not doing this, he is simply 
not showing the leadership that God commands him to do. Gentlemen, sometimes we forget what we're called to do. Don't think for a moment that God has given the burden of submission just to wives. Everything that we do in relationship to our wives is to be done with the same kind of love that Jesus has for the church. With the same kind of love that Jesus has for the church. Men, are we husbands willing to do all that is possible for our wives? The Lord is waiting for us to get with the program. Now, I turn this over to the woman of my dreams and my waking hours also. <laughs> well, <laughs> there is some jeopardy in being last, um, but I guess I shouldn't apologize if the Lord put the same thing on all of our hearts. Um, you may hear some repetition. Um, we're getting a good picture of what God designed for marriage. And apparently, it wasn't just so he could make babies. Yes, he knew children would grow up best with a mom and a dad. And he is providing a relationship where we can love each other and meet one another's needs. However, it appears that God didn't just design marriage for our happiness and our pleasure. The Lord has built the perfect arena for us to work out our selfish human nature, to submit to his conforming us to his image. Isn't it interesting that we can end up bride and groom, so in love, with lots in common, but so different? God is giving us the opportunity to learn to love with his kind of love. Aren't we glad Jesus didn't say, I'll love you as long as you do what pleases me. Isn't it amazing that he loves us enough to die for us even when we don't measure up? That's his kind of love. But naturally, we want things our way. Are we willing to say, it doesn't have to be my way? Or as Bill sometimes says, I want what you want. Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to say that to God? Can we say, Lord, well, I call you that, but I really do want you to be Lord of my life. I submit what I want my way to you, Lord. Lord, I want what you want in my marriage. Now, sometimes things go along pretty well, and we think we have it all figured out. And then things change. I'm sure not the same person that I was when Bill married me 66 years ago, and it's a good thing. 
New seasons bring new challenges, and we have to figure it out all over again. Granted, some things never change. I still need to know Bill loves me, and I still need to respect him and follow his lead. But it's sure easier for me to do that when I remember that he's reading his Bible every day and he's following God's lead. However, when conflict comes, there can be a tendency to automatically revert back to what our defensive natures have learned in the past. Hopefully, that's not an issue for you. But when our plans are thwarted, we can get frustrated. Or if we feel lack of regard, there might be a tendency to respond in like kind. I know it has occurred to me after a discussion. I could have said that a little nicer. So the goal is not to wait till afterward to think about it, but to choose to say what we have to say, what needs to be communicated in a respectful, encouraging way. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let's stop and think about that a minute. Our words certainly can be life and death to our marriage. Just little words, well, destructive words. Destructive words can be like little gem, germs, not gems. <laughs> that if, if attended, unattended, continue to grow and eat away at the oneness that God planned for us. But God has provided antibodies of love, honor, appreciation, and respect. If we can just remember to say a little please or thank you, you know, after we've lived together for a number of years, we may forget to express the gratitude for the nice things our spouse does because that's just the way it always is. But a thank you not only lets our partner feel appreciated, but reminds us of what a blessing they are to us. And then there are the biggies, like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'll change that. Please forgive me. Now, I know it's not easy to admit we're wrong, but sometimes that is what's necessary to put out the fire. First Peter tells us, let all be harmonious and humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you may inherit a blessing. Giving a blessing brings a blessing, but our stubborn wills are a huge obstacle to the blessing God wants to pour out on us. Now, as Mike reminded us, there is that evil one who wants to distort and destroy anything God creates good. Do we really want to cooperate with him? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, is this issue more important than our relationship? 
Proverbs tells us the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon a quarrel before it breaks out. You know, it takes two sinners to make an argument. So, if things start to get out of control, that could be the time for a little friendly competition. See if we can be the first to break the downward spiral of accusation for attack with a humble and forgiving spirit. And then Proverbs again, if we just let lots of words pour out, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. If it seems at times that our emotions are overpowering, that's when we need to stop and ask the Lord to take over, to help us to submit what erupts naturally to his kind of response. Actually, it takes the power of God to free us from ourselves. Maybe the real question is, is the Lord important enough to me to let him control my reaction instead of how I feel? Just who is Lord here? Now for you who are thinking toward marriage someday, let me say this. If you know Jesus and you have discovered that his way is the best way, and you want the best marriage the way God planned it, don't even consider getting into a relationship with a non-believer. If you think, I'll just date around a little for some fun, nothing serious, it's not worth the chance of finding yourself too far in with the realization that you're not on the same page. It takes the power of God at work in both husband and wife to build the oneness God designed for you. Marriage is too precious to settle for mediocre. Or worse, go for God's best. God tells us an amazing thing in Psalm 37, 4 and 5. To those who delight in the Lord and trust in him and commit their way to him, he will give the desires of their heart. So, do we truly delight in what God planned for marriage? Do we trust the Lord enough to commit our way to him, to submit our selfish will to him? Are we willing to acknowledge that God's way is the best way? And if we really believe that, are we willing to do it? We're still working on it, and it's still getting better. Now, wives, if ever we feel that submission to our husband's leadership is a bit much for us, but the desire of our heart is to do marriage God's way, but somehow we just can't seem to make that happen, the best thing we can do is pray and ask God to put in our hearts what he wants us to be. 
The Lord has told us in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father will be glorified in the Son. Asking the Lord to empower us to be what God wants us to be certainly qualifies for asking in his name for his purpose. And it is for his glory. When God gives us a bigger-than-life assignment, he will equip us if we ask. God has given us a magnificent gift, access to the power of his spirit right in us. And we don't have to wait until the crisis comes. We can put on our armor now and ask for the Lord's transforming work in our hearts and in our minds. And then be sure to thank him for what he's going to do. In Psalms we see, the eyes of the Lord are on those who seek peace and pursue it. And his ears attend to their prayers. If you want your marriage to be different from the world, if you want your marriage to be what God intended, that takes God's doing. So ask. Pray in Jesus' name for God's purpose and for his glory. Mike, would you come up and close us in prayer? Thank you, guys. Would you guys pray with me as we close out our time together? Father, just thank you so much for um, these people who are willing to come and just invest in their marriages. And Lord, I want to ask that as we close our time together, um, we've heard just so much encouragement, Lord, from from Bob and Christy, from Bill and Jeanette. And and Lord, I just thank you for... um, families that have been in this church from the very beginning and and families that you brought to us. Lord, we're so grateful to have the mentoring and the discipleship and the counseling that's been brought here. I just pray, Lord, that if any here this morning are feeling like um, they need help along the way, that they would look to um, the, the people in this church who have been walking with you in their marriages for many, many years. And Lord, that we would learn from them, that we would grow as we walk with them. Lord, I just thank you for the wisdom. That's to be gained. Thank you, Lord, for speaking through um, not only your word to us this morning, but through the the speakers. And God, I pray um, that what we need to retain from this would take root in our hearts, Lord, that you would give us remembrance. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen marriages in our church, that you would strengthen families. Lord, would you be with the kids? And Lord, bless those uh, this morning who have been down with the kids and, and kids ministry watching them. Lord, we just are so thankful for all those who serve. So, Father, as we go, I pray that you would bless these guys, that you would encourage them. Lord, that you would um, open their eyes to see just where you're taking them. Lord, that they would be making those daily steps. Lord, that they would do the next right thing. Um, God, that they would look for the next step and they would take it together. And, Lord, that as we strive towards oneness and as we, um, Lord, just look to fulfill the role that you've called us to in marriage, that you would um, be glorified in our lives, Lord, together. We thank you, Lord, that... You've called us to this this walk of marriage. And Lord, for the singles, I pray that you would give them patience and you would encourage them. Lord, that that you would be very near and powerfully present in their lives as they walk this path. Um, And Lord, I pray that in your time, 
you would do all that you desire in their lives. And so, thank you, Jesus, for this time. Thank you for this place. Uh, bless these guys as they go. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you guys give a hand for the speakers again? Hi. Thank you.